Our Old Testament and Gospel reading this morning are well-known readings. They're readings that we've heard many times, probably heard lots of sermons on. They're the kind of readings that we know and we don't really have to listen to because we know how they go and we know what happens. And so there is a possibility that you even switched off. Which is fine. That's what we do when we hear these stories that we've heard a lot about. For example, the story from, uh, that we heard from Exodus this morning is the story of Moses, which at one level is a beautiful story. It's a story that touches some of our deepest insecurities, well, at least some people's deepest insecurities and longings. And it's certainly a story that links in with what I hear from a number of people during spiritual direction. That it's not enough to be known by God. They want to know God themselves. Moses wanted and needed to know God. He wanted to know God's name. Names are kind of frivolous things for us. I know Maureen's name, but that doesn't tell me anything about Maureen. To know someone's name in those days was to know their essence, who they were to the core of their being, which is why Peter and Paul get new names. When their essence changes, they need a new name. So God knew Moses' name. So God knew the essence of Moses. Moses wanted to know the essence of God, wanted to know God's name. He wanted to be certain of God. He wanted to see see and hear God for himself in a way that would change everything. That's all Moses wanted, to know the essence of God and to be certain of God. And in this way, he thought he would be able to lead the Hebrew people to become a distinctive people, different from every other people, just as their God was different from every other God. I wonder how many of us here today want that, to know the essence of God, to be certain of God, to see and to hear God, that we might be a distinctive people. Well, Moses was told that he could not know the name of God more than he did that name that he was given at the burning bush that is so hard to translate. I am who I am, or I am who I was, or I am who I will be, or I will be who I was, or trouble is the tense of that to be verb cannot be nailed down, kind of like God cannot be nailed down. And he couldn't see the glory of God either because to see the face of the glory of God would be too much. He would die. In the end, God is inherently mystery and uncertainty. That's what makes God different from every other God. Everyone knew everything about those other gods. They even had little idols so that you could have a look at them. 
that this God is inherently unknowable. So, the best Moses could get was to be covered in a rock as God passed by. And he was invited to see the back of God. The back of God. What is the back of God? Have you ever wondered that? Is it an actual back? Is it a kind of sense of God's presence after God has been in that place? Or is it being able to see all the qualities of God at work in the people and in creation so that you then know that God is there or has been there? What is the back of God for us? We are offered Jesus, who was one of us, yet God. Jesus, who reminds us who we are as people made in the image of God. Who reminds us what it means to live as people made in the image of God. As people abounding with the qualities that Jesus lived by. We could say that Jesus is the back of God for us. And, as people who live with those qualities, in a way, we become the back of God for others. So where do we see the back of God around us? And how are we the back of God? And how does that help us be as distinctive as Moses hoped the Hebrew people would be? Just spend a moment thinking about being the back of God. Jesus was in the temple. He'd been there the day before. He'd ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, gone straight to the temple, and turned over the tables for the money changers and sent them out caused quite a kerfuffle. And then he went off to Bethany for the night and returned the next day and started teaching his easy yoke again. Now some of the Jerusalem leadership, actually most of them, weren't very happy about that. So the chief priests and the elders, they came to him and they said, by whose authority do you do these things? Whose authority do you turn over these tables? Create chaos and havoc, hardship for those money changers, law-abiding, decent honest people by whose authority do you teach this yoke this understanding of the law of Moses and Jesus said well if you tell me whether John's baptism came from God or not I'll answer your question now they weren't so keen on answering that question so instead he told three stories one about the two sons, one of whom said, no, nah, don't want to, and did. And the other one said, yeah, of course I'll do that, and didn't. And then there were the bad tenants doing terrible things to the absent landowners' servants, and eventually son and all that happens to them, absent landowners like the chief priests and the elders. And then there was the story about the wedding that the king gave and all those who should have come for all sorts of good reasons, including that their honour said that they should go, but they didn't. 
to their cost. And then there were a whole lot of people who never dreamed that they would end up at the weddings, wedding at the king's son's wedding feast. There they were at the king's son's wedding feast. That's quite hard to say. And and people were starting to get a little edgy at that point. And so they had another little meeting, the Jerusalem leadership. And this time, Pharisees decided that they would get together with people really they had nothing in common with apart from they were Jews. And that was about it. Herodians. Herodians were people who, well, they supported the Romans. They worked with the Romans. The Romans were their ticket to power and wealth. Pharisees weren't quite so in with the Romans. And they come to Jesus and they ask him this really, really tricky question. It's the kind of question that should never be asked. Because there is no good answer. And they do it in the way that, well, as a bishop taught me long ago you should do, you should always begin by saying something nice. So they start with nice things. Teacher, we know you have integrity. Teach the way of God accurately. Are indifferent to popular opinion and don't pander to your students. So tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Some people might wonder whose law they're talking about there, but Roman law is really clear. You will pay the taxes, or something terrible will happen to you. So you don't need to worry about whether it was lawful under Roman law. It was just one clear answer. Hell yes. This is about the Torah. The question really is, in your teaching of the Torah in all your binding and loosing, in your yoke, is this lawful? Now Jesus is in a little bit of a bind, because if he says no, he can be sure the Herodians will run off to their Roman masters, and the Romans will be there, and they will be all over him like a rash. Preaching sedition is not something tolerated by the Romans. They deal with that really, really quickly. They need that tax to pay for their armies, their armies which keep the peace. But if he says yes, then all those people that follow him who used to own land but now don't because they couldn't afford to pay the Roman tax and so they had to borrow to pay the Roman tax And eventually their debt level got so high that they lost all their land to the chief priests and the elders and the Herodians and some of the Pharisees. All of them will leave him in a flash. He will no longer be their hero, their man, speaking for them. He has clearly changed sides. This is a win-win for the askers and a lose-lose for Jesus. But Jesus asks for a coin. 
Who's wealthy enough to wander around with those kind of coins, for goodness sake? Well, Herodians are wealthy enough to have those kind of coins. And he asks, whose image is on it? And what does the inscription say? And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And he says, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Well-known lines. It's even our sentence. Lines that over the years have been used by lots of leaders and wealthy people to say to the church, keep out of politics, keep out of the affairs of state, keep out of economics. None of that has anything to do with you. You just do the spiritual stuff, the nice stuff. Let the big stuff be looked after by us. We even heard that not too many years ago by a current minister of the crown when he told the Anglican Church to stop making comments about the Treaty of Waitangi. It has nothing to do with you. Just stay with the faith stuff. So how do we work out what is Caesar's and what is God's? Turn around, talk to your neighbour for a few seconds. How do you work out what is Caesar's and what is God's? Seems to be to be the question. wise people with many years of life experience, we have had to work this out. How do you work it out? What is Caesar's and what is God's? Who's got an answer? It's a really hard question. Yep. We're in God's world and it's all one. So it's kind of straightforward, but kind of not. So if we say, what do they provide? You have to pay taxes and rents because you need sewerage or health service. And that's provided in Holland. It is, luckily. Church, you have to work out for yourself. It's a bit like that. Yeah, it comes down to your conscience. What you feel in your heart, what you know in your heart, right from wrong, and what is God. Okay. Well, we, we should just probably keep thinking about that. Except, well, there's just a couple of problems with that. <laughs> First is, who can tell me 
The first two commandments. A brief summary will do. No. Talking about Moses' law here, not Jesus' summary. The real thing. We heard it a couple of weeks ago. Well, that's kind of it. One God. Only worship that God. No other gods. And second commandment. No idols. Okay, so we hold that. Jesus asks for a coin. What's on the coin? An image. And what's the inscription? Does anyone know the inscription? I'm pretty sure you're not going to know what the actual inscription was because that was in Latin. So a brief English translation would go something like Tiberius, that's the name of the emperor, Caesar, means he's an emperor, Pontifus Maximus, high priest, hmm, the Pope has that title now too. He has quite a few of the emperor's old titles actually, and I'm not even sure how he got them. Because I'm pretty sure that the emperors weren't so keen to give it to the Pope. And there were emperors for a long time. Like up to about the 1500s, there were emperors. So, not entirely sure how the Pope got those, but he did. And then, the little phrase at the end, Son of God. The emperors are divine. People sacrifice to them. So here we have... Somebody walking around the temple with a coin with an image on it claiming this person is a god in the temple. That wasn't just a here, have a look at this coin, let's see what's on it like we would do. Jesus is pointing out something to the Herodian because it probably wasn't a Herodian. The Pharisee wouldn't have done that. And he could have said... It's an interesting coin. How come you're wandering around with this graven image, young man? But he doesn't. He then says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. But what happens, and we always start with what is Caesar's, and God's gets the rest. That's kind of how our brains work, because Caesar's right there at the front. But what happens if we flip it around and say, give to God's what is God's, and give to Caesar's what is Caesar's? So the first question is, what is God's? That's sort of a hard question. Everything. Everything is God's. Everything is God's. So what is Caesar's? What's left? Which is nothing. So Jesus' answer looks really straightforward. But actually, any good Jew who heard that answer went, that is a really good answer. Should we be paying taxes? Is it lawful? No. Not under the law of Moses. Give to God what is God's, everything. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, nothing left. Now, could the Herodians go and tell the Romans that he had just said that? The Romans would go, what did he say? Well, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. What's the problem with that? I couldn't really go to the Romans, but everyone who heard that knew exactly what he had just said. Now, why does that surprise us? When did Jesus ever give a straight answer? 
Never. Every time they thought they had him on a pin down, he would flip it around. And he's done it again. Except we keep missing the point because we are so familiar with it. So, if everything is God's, and we are people who live knowing that everything is God's, how does that then help us be the back of God? How does that help us be the kind of people who are bound with the same values and qualities that Jesus are bound with? That's the real question that we need to be thinking about. We'll have a moment. You can sit in silence and think about that, or if you'd rather, you can talk to your neighbour about that and then put the leaves with the next part of the service.